I've spoken about this before, the experience I have, you know, out in the wild when people find out that I'm a priest, you know, Catholic priest. And uh, it's always, it's just been, over 23 years, it's been fascinating how people respond to me. Uh, the most uh, confident person all of a sudden gets pretty insecure about <laughs> their relationship with God and, you know, um, they start sort of the litany begins. Oh, well, I, I, I used to be Catholic. Well, I mean, I'm Catholic, but I mean, I used to be Catholic. And in my head, I'm thinking, we still got you, you're Catholic. But, you know, I used to be Catholic, but then I, you know, we go, well, we don't always go. Well, we don't generally go. But then we, you know, we started going to this other church and then, you know, I'm not a great sinner. I mean, the whole litany, it's like the litany of the former Catholic, you know. And um, it's, it's just really, really interesting. But one of the very interesting things is what those who attend other churches now, they're not attending Catholic churches. They used to be attending Catholic churches, and now they're not. Um, it's interesting what they say, the reasons why they are, and then the things they miss. Um, people generally will say, you know, I love the Catholic Church, I love being Catholic, but I just wasn't being fed spiritually. But I really miss the Eucharist. Which is interesting because, you know, we're living in this time when it's said that a lot of Catholics don't believe or understand the teaching of, of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. That God himself is present in the sacred species and the bread and the wine, and either the bread or the wine fully, body, blood, soul, and divinity, God is present. But everybody, I think every Catholic knows, you know, that even if they don't understand all of the theological concepts, that receiving the Eucharist is incredibly, incredibly special and important and sacred. Um, but one of the main reasons people will speak about leaving isn't that. People don't leave because of the Eucharist. They usually leave because... They're not being fed, and that normally has to do with the word as opposed to Eucharist. So um, we're looking here at the, the road to Emmaus, and we have this dynamic of these two disciples walking along, talking about what just happened in Jerusalem to Jesus, and then Jesus comes upon them. They can't recognize him yet in his resurrected form. Um, in some way, we see this happen over and over again in the, in the post-resurrection accounts where Jesus is not immediately made known, and there's some sense that there's something about him is, that's, that's familiar, but something about him that's different. Well, yeah, he's, he's now resurrected, and, you know, there's this post-resurrection experience that's much different. But what happens is Jesus then asks them, and then, you know, they're saying, well, he was a prophet, but he wasn't the Messiah. You know, he wasn't the Messiah, and, and they're downcast. They're, they're depressed about that. They were really hoping that he was the Messiah. So Jesus says, well, how foolish you are, because, of course, he is the Messiah. And then he begins to explain to them how all of the prophets, the law, you know, all that came before pointed exactly to him and what happened. And we hear later on the disciples talk about that experience of having Jesus open the scriptures as their hearts began to burn within them. They began to have hope again. Oh, well, maybe, maybe he really is the Messiah in some way we're not completely comprehending. Maybe this is how God intended it. And so the word 
explained prepares the heart for what comes next. And what comes next is they arrive at their place where they're gonna stay for the night. They ask him to stay uh, with them. And then we're told that uh, they're going to eat. And so he takes the bread. Does it sound familiar? He takes the bread, says the blessing, breaks the bread. And in that moment, they see him as the Messiah and as Jesus. They recognize him in the breaking of the bread. There's a parallel to this experience on the road to Emmaus of the disciples and with, with the mass itself. You can't have a mass without both word and Eucharist, word and sacrifice. So you might say, well, Father, when, when you just say mass on your own, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but especially during COVID, I did a lot. I was saying mass for all of us uh, every day. When you say mass alone, can you just, you know, can you just go to the, the end part? You know, you just do the Eucharist stuff? And no, I have to do the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. The word has to be proclaimed for it to be a valid mass. It has to be, you can't have one without the other. Um, not for it to be a mass, not for it to be the sacrifice of the mass. I skipped the homily, you know. <laughs> and by the way, mass alone takes 12 minutes, but don't get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's some things I can skip, but no, the, the, so the idea here, you know, sort of this, uh, there's sort of a drama to it or a, a flow. There's, there's a bit of an emotional flow, but there's also a structural flow that goes from um, Christ being revealed initially in the people and then a little bit more in the priest by virtue of his ordination and then even more, very much more than the priest, in, in the word proclaimed and then explained in the homily and then most fully, most august presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so what happens is, you know, even as we're beginning to gather, Christ is being present in us because Christ is in us. You know, but it's different than the Eucharist because we're not pantheists. We don't all believe we're God, of course. But, but Christ is being revealed even as we come in, even as we, you know, rehearse and, and greet one another. And it just unfolds more and more and more and more. And then you get to the Eucharist and there should be this experience of, wow, you know, that's it. Now, I, I recognize that that is often very much dependent on where we're at individually in that day, how engaged we are, how we're feeling, you know, how connected we feel, et cetera. But that's the idea. That's the general idea with the liturgy. So it happens on the road to Emmaus, and it ought to be happening within the liturgy itself. It's interesting. I've been uh, involved in, you know, liturgy or celebrating the Mass since I was 16, uh, when I first started playing, you know, piano for, for Mass. And, um, you know, I would say when I got to around 19 and I started leading um, I began to become aware of all of these liturgy wars within the church. You know, all, all of these Catholics arguing with each other about the mass. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You're not. I'm sure you've had the experience. I'd be surprised if you haven't, or some of you haven't, where you've gone to, uh, perhaps to other churches or spoken to other people, and you talk about maybe the music we do, and they say, well, that's not right. You're not supposed to do that, you know. Or uh, they show up and there's no tabernacle. And a person says, well, that's not right. 
you know, you're, you're supposed to have a tabernacle. Not true. And the church allows for plurality of music. I would never let us do something we weren't supposed to do. I would never do it, not knowingly. So if you catch me, tell me, because I'll fix it. But there's a really good chance you're not going to catch me. Because <laughs> I know this stuff pretty well, you know. And, you know, one of the things I came and I, I, I don't want to say I fixed it, because it, it actually is a sort of legitimate plurality within the church. But, but I noticed when I first came four years ago, you know, after communion, some people were standing, some people were kneeling, some people were sitting, and it was, there wasn't unity, you know. And uh, that very issue of what to do after communion was a debated issue when the new rules came out on the Mass in, in 2002. And it was essentially left up to the bishops. And so in our diocese at the time, I don't know if it'll change, but at the time with a former bishop, he, you know, he wanted everyone to you know, basically kneel or they could be seated if they couldn't kneel. And you guys were a bunch of weirdos. And... Uh, <laughs> you know, I just didn't want you to be weirdos. You know, I'm like, well, let's just do what we do in the diocese. Apparently in the di other dioceses, they do stand, right? And you might say, well, this is weird. Well, okay, this is legitimate plurality. It, can, it exists. It exists within the church. And if, if that local bishop, if that's what he wants, he actually has that authority. There's certain things he doesn't have the authority to change, but there's a few things he does. And then for me, there's a few things I can do. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't change, but there's a few things that I can, I can do relative to, to preference, you know, and, and one of those would be the music. You know, why do we do the music we do? Because it's on my heart. The Lord has put it on my heart, and I've known this for, for a good decade now, that he wants me to do everything I can to catch as many fish as possible, to which I say to him, I hate fishing. He's like, metaphorically, John, you know, he doesn't speak that clearly. But it's clear enough that I know that in the culture we're in and the time we're living in, that I just know that it's my job to try to help people get connected with the Catholic Church, to, to make the, the Mass and the liturgy and, and the Church accessible in the, in the ways that I can within the rules and within the guidelines. And so, you know, you may go to another church and they might, they might do, they do other things, of course, and you might like that more, or you might like it less, um, but this is legitimate plurality that exists. You know, the tabernacle, we get a lot of questions. Father, where's your tabernacle? People come in. It's not a church if there's no tabernacle behind the altar. Really? Have you been to St. Peter's in Rome? That's not a church. That's a pretty awesome church. No tabernacle behind the altar. Um... Again, the church doesn't ask that. The church said, there's rules, there's rules, there's all kinds of rules. I had the men's group uh, last week and, and cause we, I did a Q and A. Well, was it last week, wait, or the week before? Week before. And uh, so I, I brought all these books out and it was a stack like this high. And I'm like, these are the rules. So when you're asking me, why do I do what I do? These are the rules. Like I gotta know all these rules or I gotta look them up. So, you know, relative to the tabernacle, and again, I just want you to know, like, okay, it is different. You know, we don't have the tabernacle right behind the altar. It is legitimate. In the construction of churches, the church allows it to be in a separate chapel, just like St. Peter's in the Vatican, by the way. The church allows it. And the, the reason why it's optional is because the tabernacle doesn't really have anything to do with the Mass. It doesn't. The focus of the Mass 
when it comes to furnishings or the sanctuary is threefold. The altar, the ambo, and the chair. The chair where the priest presides, the ambo where the word is proclaimed, and the altar where the sacrifice takes place. That a tabernacle might be in the area has to do with practicality. So when I first began, we were, we were uh, having daily mass in the, in the Mary Chapel. We could never fit now. We'll sometimes have um, near 200 people, especially on a Wednesday, because we have donuts. And, um, but, you know, I was in, uh, we were in the chapel, but once in a while we wouldn't have enough uh, Jesus because they wouldn't put out enough, you know, or we'd have a bigger crowd. Then we'd have to go through like two different doors to get into the tabernacle and then bring it in. And I said, we have this other tabernacle, let's just put it in there. Was that because of devotional thing? No, no, I mean, it can be devotional and often is, but liturgically it's functional. So consequently, when I also began, we weren't taking the Eucharist back to the tabernacle or bringing it back up. Right? And I changed that because it's important that you see that connection. Why do we reserve the Eucharist? Because it's still Jesus. Why do we have a beautiful tabernacle and a beautiful, and why did I actually renovate that as the first thing I did? Is because I wanted to highlight how important it was that we truly believe Jesus is present in the Eucharist, not just subjectively, if I believe, then it's Jesus. No, objectively, if that bread and that, and that wine has been transformed, transubstantiated into Jesus. It remains Jesus. And so we have a tabernacle to have a safe place and also a place where we can pray. Okay. So there's a bunch of stuff I have to do with the liturgy. There's a, there's a bunch of things, a bunch of rules, a bunch of things that I need to have right. I have to understand them, and I do. I take it very seriously. And I make sure that, I basically make sure that, I, I kind of like being just a bread and butter, you know, priest as far as it goes with the liturgy. I don't like to mess with the form. I do what I'm supposed to do. And then, you know, we're allowed to sort of, you know, our personality can come out in the homily or, or within the music, et cetera. But, you know, I kind of like the stability of you show up and you know it's going to be pretty much the same, which is part of the genius of, of the Catholic Church. But they, so the, that's my stuff. What's your stuff? What are you supposed to do? Now, liturgy means work of the people. It's true that I have work to do and, and deacon has work to do. And certainly I'm presiding over the liturgy and I'm offering the sacrifice, I'm preaching. But you're also supposed to be at work as well. And this can be difficult in, in many ways because sometimes we just don't feel like it. There's all kinds of kids. Right now you're thinking, Father, stop. We need our donuts. <laughs> Father, I can't, I'm getting bored. You know, There's some of you who are angry because you were dragged here and you don't want to be here. You'd rather be at home sleeping or whatever. And, you know, uh, and there's some of you who are incredibly sad. You're mourning. It's hard to even respond. Some of you are very overjoyed. I mean, in a church this big, there are so many things going on. But what does is, what is the Lord sort of ask of us? Because it's really God who's asking us to do this, to do these sacred actions. And what he's asking us is for all of us to do our part, to bring something to it, right? And so the church has, has taught that 
It's the role of the people to be active, to be aware, to be conscious, to participate. And there's one thing I'm just going to, now that I know I'm going to be here for the next two decades or so, I don't have to preach everything in one homily. So I'll just do one thing today, (laughs) one tip today, okay? And we'll just cover that today. Um, When the gifts are brought to the altar and the, the priest offers them, this is a sacred action of offering the gifts of the people to God and then placing them on the altar where the sacrifice takes place. When I, when I begin with the words and invite you, I'm inviting you to participate in that sacrifice. So there's the sacrifice I'm offering, but there's the sacrifice you're offering. And that's what I'd like you to focus on today. So, um, you know, from, from finishing the homily through the preparation of gifts song, I'd, I'd like you to really consider what do you want to bring to God and offer on this altar today? Is it your joy? Is it your gratitude? Is it your anxiety? Is it your depression? Is it your sadness or mourning? Is it your anger that you were dragged here today? Is it your boredom? Give it to him. You're like, really, Father? I'm angry. Give it to him. He can take it. Make it sacred on this altar. The more that we learn to give it all to Jesus the more we allow him to transform us in our most intimate realities of our life. So whatever you're feeling, whatever you want to give to God, if it's doubt, you know, if it's uh, anger at him, whatever, consider what you want to give today. And when I invite you at that part of the Mass uh, to offer your sacrifice as well, mentally offer that sacrifice, place it on the altar, and allow God to transform it today. Please stand.